just for a moment. Um, no, this is where the church is. This is this is what Jesus did. And I could not help, and this isn't what I wanted to speak on tonight, but I could not help but while standing over there, recognize the house that Jesus stood in and preached the gospel. And as they did, they tore off the roof and lowered the man that was sick and in need of, of a healing. And, you know, there were those that got upset about that. Uh, and, you know, what I thought about when I, when I read that scripture is I don't think so much about all the miracles of the man that got healed, and, and those things are important, but what I think so much about is the people that had to have owned that house. And it is said that it was Jesus' house, but I think a lot about the revival that broke out of a house. And so uh, that being said, I, I just wanted to drop that in your spirit tonight, and, and um, I'm just so thankful to be here because of what I feel in my spirit and in my heart. And uh, it, just at the end of the... At some point, I don't know, sometimes I get caught up in the Holy Ghost and sometimes I share a little while I'm sharing and sometimes I share at the end, at the beginning. But uh, I feel angelic activity just everywhere. I mean, just everywhere. And I, as odd as this is, I didn't know there was an opening up here, but right there where that light is, when I was praying over here, I just saw an angel standing there. You know, uh, you know not that a spot is particular or important, but sometimes they are. There was a pool called Bethesda that an angel went to one time a year and stirred the waters. So uh, uh, it's not that we need to go stand in that spot. I believe God is blessing this tonight and blessing this house and blessing this church and this body of believers. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. I would really like to share some things with you tonight, hopefully some things you've maybe never heard before. Uh, would that be okay? Not new, not new doctrine or anything like that, but just some fresh word that, that God has given me. And uh, I'd like to just share this with you uh, because uh, I hate religion. You know, I hate religion. You know, uh, the Bible tells us that in Jesus' day, they took the traditions of men and called them law. And it's the same religion and tradition that in Jesus' day that tried to destroy the work of Jesus that is trying to destroy the work of Jesus today. And so what we have to do is we have to be prepared to battle that. And we need some tools. And tonight, I'd like to give you some tools, okay? <clears throat> so in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Then drew near unto them all the publicans and sinners to hear him. Okay, and, and I'm just going to stop right there. Uh, who, are, who are they going to hear? Talk back to me. Who are they drawing near to hear? Jesus. And who is drawing near? From what we just read, the publicans and the sinners. So who's Jesus really wanting to preach to here? The sinners. He's not wanting to really address the church at that moment. He is desiring to reach out to the lost, which this is this is a, a key. We have got to be a people that reaches out to the lost. We have got to have, that is the heart of God. The heart of God is the lost. Not that he doesn't love the church, because he does, but God is interested in the lost. And when we begin to reach out to the lost, we get the heart of God. We get the focus of his anointing, the focus of his spirit, and God can begin to use us for great things. But we've got to have that heart for the lost. You know, we were spinning our wheels for a long time in Iowa and really really going out into the into the world and really trying to drag people out. And then we got a very, very unique 
tea here recently. The Lord spoke to us. We have uh, very much a culture shock. We are right in between Waterloo and Cedar Falls, Iowa. Cedar Falls, Iowa is a college town. Has you and I there. That's where Kurt Warner played college football. And uh, it's, it's very much an upper class area. And then you go into Waterloo. And Waterloo has got a lot of, uh, uh, not so much middle class, but there's a lot of poverty. We've got a lot of minorities that live over there. There's a lot of work that appeals, appeals to minorities in that area. And so it's been a very difficult area. So if we go down to Waterloo and we minister, it is like an open receptacle. And people are very open to the gospel. But when we go to Cedar Falls where people learn to depend on money... And so many other things, it's a much harder place. So uh, many times people were getting discouraged about going into Cedar Falls. And so what we did was we decided, well, let's pray. And let's begin to ask God to lead us to somebody. So what we decided to do is rather than just go out and do, just do street, street evangelism, we, we began to ask God, God, who do you want us to go minister to? And so he would bring faces before us. And then God, and the Lord spoke to us. He said, I'll go before you and I'll have angels begin to turn the ground in front of you. And so when you go with a seed, what will happen is, is the people's hearts will be ready to bring forth the harvest. And I believe we are in a season of quick harvest. I believe we have the church right now, the condition the church is in, we need a quick harvest. And Jesus is wanting to minister to the lost. I just read a story about D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody was preaching in Chicago, and he was up at every service he had an altar call. Every service he would take the time to, to win the lost. But in one service, he decided he wasn't going to. And he told the people, he preached a salvation message, and this is what he said to them. He said, I want you to ponder on these thoughts, and I want you to come back on Sunday morning ready to receive. And that night, before that service was over, the fire bells began to ring, and the Chicago fires broke out where thousands of people died and were literally burned alive. And the church that they were in never saw a Sunday morning. He missed the, this is a great man of God. And I know we hear that and we think what a tragedy. But I declare unto you today that we have sowed seeds that have not been lost. And even though Sunday morning never came, there were those that walked out of that place that night. They became aware of a real eternity and a real God and a real hell. And all of a sudden they recognized their need to be saved. And what we have to do is we have to be a people that make people consciously aware around us of the opportunity that they need to have to be saved. I was sitting in a, in a barber's chair one day, and the, the lady that was cutting my hair, she began to talk, and I've, I had a bad day. I had just a rough morning. It was a Monday morning. Uh, I had some appointments. I had to get out of the way. I had been very busy, and my mind was everywhere but on evangelism and winning the lost. And I sat down in this chair, and the girl talking to me began to ask me about living in Iowa and the bad weathers. And she'd actually moved from Texas and was had been from a warmer climate. And she said, "Well, I'm just really scared to drive." And I said, well, "Why are you scared?" And she said, "Because I'm afraid to die." Now, every one of you, you're kind of looking at me thinking, well, man, that's a great opportunity to jump in there with the gospel. But all those years ago, I missed it. Because I'd had a bad day, because I'd had a rough morning, because of everything that was going on, I missed it. And when I got in the car, I didn't even realize I had missed it until later. And I sat there, and I had to go before God, and I had to repent. And I had to say, God, I'm sorry for missing an opportunity to share the gospel. And so I, I did that. And you know, I went back to another place uh, a few years later and got the same opportunity. And I didn't miss it. 
Then I took the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. But look at this. Who is Jesus wanting to minister to here? The sinners and the, and the, and the, uh, uh, the, sinners and the publicans. Okay, the tax collectors. Now, let's jump down to verse 11. And this is where I want to speak to you from. Um, uh, uh, let me read verse 2 before we go down to 11. It says, And Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Okay, the Pharisees and the scribes represent who? The religious folk. Not just the church, but that was the, mod that was the modern church in that day, but it was the religious folk. So, the religious folk of that day, the same spirit that was in operation then is the same spirit that is in operation today in the church. And we have to recognize that. The devil has no new tricks. He just has new sowing fields. He has new people, new things, but again, he has no new tricks. So the things that he used against Jesus in Jesus' day, he will use against us in this day. So now in verse 11, it says, And a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And he divided unto them his living. And many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far off country and there he wasted his substance with rigorous living. Okay, now going back up for a moment, who is Jesus wanting to minister to? Sinners and the tax collectors, right? But who shows up? The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious folk. Isn't that something? As soon as we get something moving, it become, it turns into something where the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious folk, come in and they start shooting at it. It has been the history of the church. Anything we don't understand, we shoot at it. Anything that doesn't make sense to us, we begin to tear it down and we say, this cannot be God because it's not the way we've always done it. But I want you to know that in a package like what I see before me tonight is what God's getting ready to use to reach the generation that we are in right now. Because I know there are those that might scoff at you right where you are right now and they might murmur against you as they did against Jesus. Friend, know this, if they did it to Jesus, they'll do it to us. But know just as they did it to Jesus. Jesus rose above all of it and still reached out to the sinners and still reached out to the tax collectors. It's interesting. Jesus reached out to the most hated of people. He reached out to the drunkards. He reached out to the tax collectors who were crooked and were hated. He reached out to the prostitutes. He reached out to the people that nobody else would. And you know why? Because when those people get saved, they love him much. They have nothing else to, to be dependent upon. They love Jesus more than anything. And people say to me, well, man, how are we going to reach the Muslims? I'll tell you how. We're going to pray for their sick children. God's going to heal them, and then they'll serve the Lord. Yeah. That's how we're going to reach them. How are we going to reach the Buddhists? We're going to pray for their sick children, sick husbands, and sick wives, and God's going to heal them, and then they'll declare there can be no God but this God. A friend of mine, I was just in conference with him, and he shared with me a story. He said that he had a, an old blind hunting dog. He lives in, in, in Virginia and he had an old blind hunting dog. And he said that they'd hunted with this dog for a long time and never amounted to much, but this dog went blind. And he was sitting on the front porch and he said, God, I want you to, I want to experience signs and wonders. And God spoke to him and says, well, what do you want to see done? And he said, I want to see the blind healed. And he said, you see that dog laying down there and God speaking to him. He says, I want you to spit in that dog's eyes. 
And he said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, God. Why would I do that? And the Lord said to him that it's the simple things of this world that will confound the wise. Spit in the eyes of that dog. And he said he sat there and he pondered on it for a long time. And he asked his little wife to come over. And his wife was crippled with arthritis. And she came over and laid hands on that little old hunting dog. And he spit in the eyes of that dog. And he said he prayed and he says, and Pastor Benny, nothing happened. Isn't that, how, isn't that how it happens? We get discouraged when nothing happens. But if you'll just hold on a minute, then God will have the opportunity to move. He said about three days later, he was sitting on the front porch, and a squirrel started walking the fence line. And he said that dog sat up and looked at the squirrel. And he watched him walk the fence line. And you know, somebody would say, well, maybe he just heard it. Maybe he just heard it. And so a couple days later, the mailman came up into the yard, and the dog left off the porch and took off running after the mailman. And he said that he got, his faith got so encouraged, he, he entered that old hunting dog into a, a competition. And that old blind coon dog from Virginia won the hunting dog competition. And everybody said, how did that happen? And he got the chance to minister the gospel to everybody there. He said, my old blind coon dog couldn't see a thing. But we prayed for him, spit in his eyes like Jesus did the blind man in the Bible. And God healed him. Amen. God will use an old blind coon dog. My friend was in Africa and he stood up there and he, he, he stood on the platform and thought to himself, if God can heal a blind coon dog, he can heal anybody. And he stood up and he said, bring me your blind. Where's the blind woman? And nobody came forward and, and uh, all of a sudden from the back, a little short woman came forward and he, they came up and she'd been completely blind from birth. And he looked at her and he said, Preacher, my heart dropped when I seen that blind woman because she'd been blind from birth. I'd never seen anything like that, but I know what my God can do. So he stood there in front of her and he looked at her and he said, Preacher, I spit right in her eyes. He says, You know what happened? Y'all know what happened, right? What happened? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. He said that she was upset and everybody there was upset. He done offended everybody. They closed down the meeting and sent him to the hotel. He said, but the next morning, he was up in his room and there was a balcony in that room. And he saw a commotion, a, a group of people come walking up the street. And all of a sudden, there was a man that was yelling out, send me out the preacher. See, he thought they was done, done there to mob him, you know. They thought they was going to kill him. <laughs> send out the preacher. So he comes, he, they, they say, no, no, we can't let you in. He says, no, no, send me the preacher. And he said, so I got together. I went downstairs and I stood in the lobby. And they came up to me and they said, preacher, last night, that was my mom. You spit in her eyes. He thought, oh, Lord. He said, she came in this morning. She has never saw a day, a second in her life. But she came up this morning completely healed. So I'm here today to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and so are all these people that I brought with me. My Lord in heaven, isn't God good? That's how we're going to reach the lost. And I know there are, there are those that say the days of miracles are gone. I want you to know that I have a, a Hebrew word for that or a Greek word for that. Actually, it's balognos, which is Greek for baloney, right? And so... <laughs> This is, Jesus wants to minister to the lost. So if it's his will, the things you see me do, so shall you do in greater things. I think it's interesting that Jesus says the things you see me do. See me do. It's very important for in your prayer time for you to imagine the things that Jesus did. 
you should see right now there should be a mental picture in your mind of a room just like this 2,000 years ago Jesus standing before people just like this and him talking to them I've been to Israel and when we think we think of how big Israel is Israel is actually very small and most of the rooms that they were in were no bigger than this room right here and Jesus had a heart to minister to the lost. And then Jesus comes in and Jesus is telling a parable, right? You understand this is not a true story. This is Jesus telling a story to illustrate a point. And so he says that there's a young man. He wants, he wants his inheritance. He asks his father for it, verse 14. And when he had spent all that he had, a mighty famine came into the land. And he began to be in what? Isn't that amazing? He had everything. He had a great inheritance. He had a home. Now, in the land that he was in. Isn't that interesting? Because his father's land was still plentiful. We don't read where really the father's land is in famine, but we read where the son went to. Isn't that how it is? God wants to do things that will get our attention. I don't know about you, but I have such a sovereign fear of God. I don't preach out of fear, but I have a fear that tells me to preach. I don't love the Lord only out of fear, but I love him because I have a certain amount of fear and love and respect for him if the church would get a good, solid uh, experience in the fear of God. I believe we would shift. So much I'd like to share with you tonight. When I was a boy, I prayed and believed for my mom to get saved for a long time. She took us to church for a while, and she got out of church, and I started preaching when I was just a boy. But one night in the middle of the night, my mom had been out of church a long time, and I had been praying and asking God to speak to her and, and bring her back to the house of God. She would go on Christmas and Easter and, and sometimes on special times, but she really didn't go very much. And so, so I, I asked her, I said, Mom, you know, I'd really want you to go, and she just would not go. And one night in the middle of the night, she came in and she said, Benny Dean, do you hear that? I said, what, Mom? And I, she said, do you hear that? She says, there's a bird at my window and it won't let me sleep. And I came in and I said, Mom, it's just a bird. And I went back to bed. And a few hours later, she came in and she said to me again, she said, Benny, do you still hear that bird? That bird is at my window. There's a reason that bird's there. So I said, Mom, it's just a bird. I was just a boy. I was just 10, 11 years old. It's just a bird. Go back to sleep. She woke me up the third time and she said, I think that's God telling me I need to get saved. And at that point, my mom gave her heart back to the Lord and, and began to serve the Lord. Bible says that they, he was in a land of famine. There was a lot of famine. And he began to be in want. That's interesting because there's a big perspective on want. Right now, I'd kind of like to have a, a, a new motorcycle. Right? That's a want. But then there's times when I want to stop and get something to eat. That's more of a need, right? But it's interesting that it says that he began to be in want. Okay? So he went from having a silver spoon in his mouth to not being able to have anything. I think there was a level at want that he got to that just said I was better off where I was. How many of you know our prodigals, and this is the word God gave me, that our prodigals are coming home? Got some prodigals you're believing to come home? He began a level of want, but that level of want turned into a level of desperation. And it says, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And when he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks of the swine, and no man gave unto him. Look at this. He's, and, and we know according to, the, to Jewish culture and tradition, they weren't allowed to touch a pig. 
They weren't allowed. But here he is. He's feeding them. And he's gotten to a place. He has gotten so low to where he thinks to himself, I could eat what the pigs are eating. What an amazing low place to have to get to. What an amazing low to have to reach to where you would say, I'll eat the same food as the slop of these pigs. I'm willing to do that. To think of the low. I, I don't know about you, but I've had people come in and out of my life. I had a couple that came to our church years ago when we first came to Waterloo. And they were homeless. They had nothing. And they came in and they got saved. And they were separate from their children. And they came in and God restored their family. And they got their family back. And after a few years, you know, they went through the motions, you know. They kind of began to just come to church. You know, the church was no longer in them. They no more had a passion for the things of God. Oh, that I would never become like the Western church and no longer have a passion for the things of God. And he says, comes in and just kind of coming to church and my heart is so burdened for them. And then before long, they, they came less and less and less and less and less. And oh, how my heart was broken for them. And I would go to see them. And I would call them on the phone and they wouldn't answer the door. They wouldn't answer my calls. And then one night in the middle of the night, the wife called me drunk. She had slipped into her old lifestyles. And the other night on my way, on our way out of town, I'd gone to the grocery store and they were both there in the grocery store and back, back home. They've, uh, we, have, we have the lottery in Iowa and they have these, I don't know if they have these in Texas or not, but they have these quick games that you play. And not a, it's not a, like a slot machine, but it's a little thing that you pull out and has tabs on it. And you flip the tabs and you can win behind the tabs. Just real quick, you can spend a lot of money really fast. And the wife was over here playing the tabs and the husband was out in front of the store drunk. And I began to weep. I began to think to myself, how far you have fallen. But the hope inside of me says that we're going to keep reaching. And even though right now they're prodigals, I have a word. That word is my prodigals are coming home. I would be much happier if they just got mad at me and found another church. I'd be much happier if they would have just found another place of worship, but to sink so low and to be right back where they were again. And God given them a, a beautiful new home. Uh, God gave them a miracle. And you know, we, and this, is, this is nine years later, ten years later, we drove by the old house. And do you know it's gone? It was a new home. And today it's gone. They've actually demolished that house and there's an empty place that sits there. And oh, how my heart hurts every time to, to see somebody that once loved the Lord, that once loved the Father like the prodigal did. To have that kind of heart after God and then one day just to change. I don't understand that. As a, as a, as a, as a minister of the gospel, I recognize the scripture that says, What man puts his hand to the plow and works and toils and labors and then keeps looking back. I, 17 years ago, I went into full-time ministry. 17 years ago, I, I, I said, God, I'm in this everything. I'm all in. My whole life, I had a little bitty baby boy. My wife and I had been married a year and we... I quit my secular job and went into full-time ministry. Had no position, no nothing, but a whole bunch of faith. Had no sense, but I had faith. And from that time till now, I've watched God do many, 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 many miracles. I've seen God move financially. I've seen God move supernaturally. I've seen God heal the sick. We've seen the lame walk. And we've seen the deaf ears open. I mean, we've seen God do some great and awesome things. And I believe it's just the beginning. But at no time have I ever looked back and said, God, I want to go back to my old life. I don't ever want to go back to what I used to do. I want to keep on serving you with everything I've got. 
I remember years ago when I, when I told the Lord, God, just send me and I'll go. Lord, wherever it is you want me to go. And today my, my prayer is, God, just send me and I'll go. And, and, and this is what it says. It says he would have filled his, his belly and no man gave to him anything. I want you to know that there is a favor of God that will fall on you and people will bless you. I got a friend. Her name is Margie Bartlett. She's a great prophet of God. And we were in Israel together. And while we were there, people would walk up to her and buy her meals. They didn't pay for my meal. But they paid for Margie's. One lady walked up to her and gave her a handful of money. I mean, she wasn't there ministering. She was there to see Israel. And all of a sudden, people just would come up to her and give her things. Isn't that something? That's just the favor of God. Uh, as you were praying earlier, you asked a blessing to fall. We, we, we need to recognize the blessing of the Father. And when the Son got out from under the blessing of the Father, all of a sudden all those blessings began to withdraw. And what happened was, is all of a sudden where people would have given to Him before, now they completely withdraw. And, and, and the Bible says, and He came to Himself and said, How many hired servants of my Father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. There came a point when he recognized where he was. There came a point in time when he recognized how bad it had gotten. And he said, a servant in my father's house is treated way better than I'm being treated right now. And he says in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He entered into a place of humility. The Bible tells us that pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. We change it around and we say that pride comes before a fall. No, no, no. When you get to pride, you're going to be destroyed. Our ministries can be destroyed. Our families can be destroyed. Everything that we touch could be cursed because we've allowed pride to get in. And uh, what, what happened was this boy allowed pride to come in. He said, I'll never, if he'd not entered into a time of famine, he probably would have done well. And it was not the hand of even the enemy that brought famine into the land or took him to a land of famine. But rather it was the grace of God. Because had he kept going the way that he was going, he probably would have died and gone to hell. Separate from the Father. But the grace of God is so big and so magnificent. It looked at him where he was and said, I love you enough that I'm going to let you get yourself into such a mess. Only I can get you out of it. And he came to himself and said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. Because in my father's house, I was treated better. Uh, even the servants in my daddy's house are treated better than I am right now. And it says, and I will arrive. He got up, he dusted himself off, he, clean, he began to clean the muck and the mire of his old life off of him. He got up and he began to make his way to his father. He was now humble. The last time he approached his dad, he was full of pride. And now he's filled with humility. At this point, he's ready. I had a friend of mine who went through and did a study on books. And there's all kinds of books about how to grow your ministry and how great this ministry is and how great that ministry is. And that's all good. There, there's a place for those things. But he went through and looked for a book on humility. The one that was written was written almost 100 years ago. And he didn't even print anymore. It's amazing how we find books that will tell us self-empowerment and how to be a better this and a better that. But all we need to realize is we need to be a humble people. And realize without God, we aren't anything. Verse 19, it says, And am no more worthy to be called a son. 
Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose. That's important. He got up. He said, I will arise. And then he, he did it. He arose. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that somebody, isn't there a lot of people they talk about doing things? Well, I'm going to win the lost. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I remember for years God had spoken to me to go on a certain fast for, for so many days. And for years I talked about it. And the day came where I had to do it. And I set myself aside and I began to pray and I began to fast. And at the end of that fast, that was the one thing that changed my life. That, that one fast, I, I won't go into the details of that tonight, but, but that one fast, it absolutely changed my life. I dusted myself off of my old life and said, all right, God, it's time to go in again. In fact, standing in here tonight, Lord spoke to me that there's some things I need to go and get in my prayer closet and just pray and fast for. And as soon as we slow down for a minute at home, we're going to go into that place. We have, to, we have to be in a place where we say, all right, God, I don't know it all. You know, you've, you've given me all these great gifts, but God, I, I really just don't know it all. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, I love this part, when he was still a way, way away, his father saw him. You know what that means? It means daddy was looking for him. Man, we need to be like the father looking for those prodigals, looking for those lost. We need to be looking. I don't know about you, but I drive down the road. I pass somebody in a car and I say to myself, are they saved? We had a lady in our church driving down the road, felt led to stop a car. She got in front of them and stopped the car. The people felt they were getting carjacked by a 65-year-old woman. <laughs> Pulled over the car and was waving them down and went up to the door and said, Do you know Jesus? And led the people in the car to Jesus. Man, are we looking for somebody that we can minister to? Are we looking for those prodigals? Or have we just said, well, someday they'll come around. No, we got to keep looking for them. We got it now. You know, listen to this. My prodigal, you might find them. And I, I pray that you would be the one that would lead my prodigal home. I don't care how they get home just as long as they get home. I might be the one that preaches to your prodigal. I don't care how they get home as long as they just get home. We had a television program back home for years, and we don't do it anymore. We have focused most of our things on the Internet and have gotten some other television opportunities, but we don't do the local broadcast anymore, but for years we did. And one day I was at home, and I got a call on the house phone and said, Prophet, I need a word. And I said, well, I'll pray. And I said, he said no, 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 I need one right now. And I said, friend, what's going on? He said, my daughter has been missing for 24 hours and I need you to pray and ask God where she is. And if you'll tell me and I know God will speak to you, then she'll show up. Talking about some pressure. I thought, man, Lord, I, I'm out of my league here. I'm not that kind of prophet. You know? So I said, God, what do you want me to do here? And I prayed with him on the phone. I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God that she's revealed. And I said that, and, and if God tells me something, I'll call you back. I went into my prayer closet. I called everybody I knew that knew how to pray. Because all of a sudden, I was on the line. I, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of people saying, well, I know how to hear from God, and then they don't. Well, <laughs> that went over like a lead balloon. We need some people to put their money where their mouth is and start really hearing from God. I went into my prayer closet and I started seeking God. I called everybody that knew how to pray. And I called that brother back up. And I said to him, I said, man, I declare unto you, just as the axe head was lost, it shall be found. Just as Saul's donkeys were lost, they shall be found. And just as the prodigal was lost, they shall be found. And we began to pray and prophesy over that little girl. And when I hung up the phone, we went back into our prayer closet and began to pray and seek God. Within 45 minutes, we got a call back and said, preacher, we found her and she's okay 
We need to be a people that aren't afraid to rise up and declare the word of God. Now, you know, somebody might say, well, I missed it. Well, you keep on praying. You keep on fasting. You keep on seeking God because the day will come when the accuracy will come. We can't treat a gift like it's just something loose that we just say or just do to anybody. But you need to be in a right position and right standing with God. And as you seek God and as you exhort in those gifts and those, those callings, God will perfect it inside of you. And the Bible says that the father saw him. And it says, and the father said unto him, verse 21, I, uh, the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called son. See where humility has settled in? Where he's decided now it's time to be humble. But father, but the father said unto him, servants bring forth the best robe and put shoes on his feet and put a robe a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us be merry. Look at this. The thing that was lost is now found and they recognize the importance of celebration. This is what the Lord spoke to me. He told me if we would honor him in service, we would honor him in fellowship and honor him with sacrifice, God would show up. So every time we have a prophetic conference, we honor him those three ways. We honor him in service. We come before him and we sing and we preach and we serve and we feed and we do all of those things. We honor him in fellowship. We take the time to talk to one another and get to know each other a little bit better and we fellowship and then we sacrifice and we give sacrificially. And when we do that, God showed up. That's what they just did. Look at that. They said, come on, let's get together. And they began to prepare the shoes. They prepared the robe. They prepared the sun. They came and they sacrificed. They killed the fatted calf. And then they began to celebrate. They made merry. They got together and said, man, this is great. He was gone. Now he's back. He was lost. Now he's found. Father, I know that it was your son, but I'm rejoicing because my son's coming home too. And my daughter's coming home too. And my friends are coming home too. We got to recognize that until we begin to rejoice of the blessings of others we will never get our own blessings until we come to a place where we can rejoice until I can rejoice over you being blessed I'll never walk in the blessings of God until I can rejoice over my brother and my sister being blessed and we'll never walk in our own we gotta take care of what God has given us right now before he'll ever bless us with more and then watch this alright now I want to get to the meat of what I want to talk to you about tonight it says, and they were merry, they were happy. Now watch this. Now the elder brother was in the field, and it came and drew nigh to the house, and he heard the music and the dancing. What did he hear? Who does Jesus want to minister to? The sinners. And who showed up? The publican, the tax collectors, I, I apologize, the scribes and the Pharisees. So he wanted to minister to the tax collectors and the sinners. The religious folks showed up. I believe, this is, this is me, I believe that Jesus wanted to only minister to the sinners. But because the Pharisees began to murmur, Jesus had to add a second character, which now makes his way on the scene as the elder brother. And the first offense of the elder brother was what? Music and dancing. The first offense, the first thing that the elder brother came in, when he, when he got on the property, he thought, man, what's all that rock and roll stuff going on? I don't know if I can worship with an electric guitar being played. I don't know if that's for me. All that drumming, I just don't know if that's my kind of church. 
the first offense of the religious folk was always music. And it wasn't just the music. It was the what? Music and the dancing. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't, well, I'm okay with these guys dancing over here. Or I'm okay with the music over here. It wasn't put them both together and I got a problem. He didn't want any of it. In other words, he was miserable and he wanted everybody else around him to be miserable. He was unhappy, so he wanted everybody around him to be unhappy. Now, you've got to recognize here this offense. His offense said, you know what? I'm right here. I have been toil in the field. I have been working. I have been laboring. You hear all the eyes in that statement? This house was run rampant with pride. The younger brother had to go through pride. Now the older brother is still fighting pride. But the younger brother was willing to get low enough to be broken free. I would imagine it was the younger brother that went to the altar as a child and said, God, use me in whatever way you can. And so in order to work that pride out of him, he might have had a short wayward season, but in that wayward season, God was just working that pride out of him. And again, I think it's interesting that his first offense was the music and the dancing and the happiness. What's with the music and the dancing? Why are you all so happy? The religious folk, the religious folk hate praise and worship. Always have. So much so that even, even in the church world today, we have people that have risen up and said, well, there's no place for music in church. I, I, I have a family member that believes that way. I sat down with him. I said, well, but Jesus brought up the instruments. Jesus brought up the stringed instruments. And they began to sing and worship. And he says, well, well, what we do is, is we believe everything after the book of John. <laughs> and I said, really? That's really what you guys base that on? I thought, come on. Because Jesus said, the things you see me do, so should you do greater things. So Jesus brought up a three-string guitar and a rock that they beat on. We can do way better than that, right? Right? And so it says, it says that... <laughs> and he called one of the religious... Uh, verse 26, and he called one of the servants and asked these. What do these things mean? Now, do you hear this? Who did he get a hold of? Did he said, hey, dad, what's with, the, what's with the party? Is that what he did? No, that's not what he did. He called a servant over and probably a disgruntled servant who'd been working as long as he'd been working and mad because he probably had to do a little extra work in celebration of the person being lost. I just recently went to a, a big church event in our community. And oh man, I mean, there was gobs of lost people there. Gobs and gobs of them. And we came in and I sat down in the church, uh, kind of an older traditional church, and they'd been there for a while. And I, I'm telling you, they were the grumpiest staff I've ever seen. I'm serious. They were mean. They were hateful. I got to get these chairs out. Put these down for all these people. Look at all these people in here. They're going to tear up our church. That's how they acted. I thought, well, God sent them to me. Let them tear up my church. God, you'll just build another one. Now, we got to be respectful of what God gives us. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you what. If it's a chair getting broke or something getting turned over, we'll clean it up. But let's win the lost. I think it is a fair, reasonable price to pay for someone to be lost. Well, I don't want all those kids messing up stuff in the church. But let's go ahead and send them out to the, let's go ahead and send them out to the movie theaters and to the parties and, and to all of those places and let them do their own thing out there and then try and reel them back in until later. You know, statistics tell us that if we don't get a child by the age of 12 today, we won't ever get them. It used to be 18. Now they're saying 12. MTV says we own the 12 to 18 year olds. We own them. They're our property. What an amazing thought. 
And we're fussing and complaining over who sits in what seat. I remember I stood up and I prophesied in our church when I first came there. I'd not been there a year and I said, God's going to send in people that will take your seats if you're not careful. And you know, within one year, God sent in people that replaced the people that were in the pews. And they came in and were mad because they didn't have a chair. It's arrogance and pride. I've been here long enough. I paid my tithes. I have an investment. Where does it tell us that our tithes and offering are investments? That's not what it is. We are giving back to God out of, our, out of what he has blessed us with. Hey, servant, come over here. I, you don't, I know you don't like this. Yeah, man, I don't like it either. So what's with the music and dancing? And it says... And he called one of the servants, verse 27, he said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father, look at this, thy father hath killed. Not we. You see how exclusive this has now become? Not we have killed thy father. Isn't that interesting how people always do that? It becomes that church. Uh huh. That pastor. Well, you know, why do you guys do things that way? Well, the pastor said we had to. Not because we prayed and sought. God felt this is what we should do. That pastor says that this is what we have to do. The Bible says, Thy father has killed the fatted calf, and he received him safe and sound. Verse 28, And he was angry. Look at this. His brother is, was lost, and he's now found, and he got mad. He was angry and mad and upset. I don't understand that mentality. I can't, I can't imagine someone that I loved who was lost and in the world, and all of a sudden they come back, and me being mad at the presentation. I cannot imagine that if uh, uh, just recently we had a, a soul winning thing that we did in our, in our community and churches got together and we had 400 people come to Jesus during this time. What it is, it was, it's the equivalent. I, I think somewhere around here you guys have a hell house, right? And I mean, I've watched a documentary on it and, and everything. And, you know, people love that stuff. People hate that stuff. I'll tell you this. We, in our area, we're, we're not a metroplex. There's about uh, 80,000 people in Waterloo. And in that, we had several thousand people go through this. A lot of them were church people. But we had over 400 people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior through this event. And people might say, I don't like the presentation. Well, I don't particularly care for some of the presentation either. But baby, we got it done. It's the religious folk who don't know nothing about it that will fuss and complain. Because I'll tell you what we did. I was a part of it. And this is what we would do. We would go in and we would, these people, we'd fish them in. They had no idea what they were getting into. We had people come through stoned. We had people come through drunk. They didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, they get to the cross room, and I would preach the gospel in the cross room, and they get, and there'd be Jesus behind me. I mean, the most horrific, passion-oriented sight you could ever see in your life. And people wouldn't get upset when they'd see people smoking pot or doing drugs or drinking, but when they'd see that cross, they'd close their eyes or turn around. Just blew me away at the sight of the cross. But, but we had intercessors that were going around that building. Had their hands on the doors praying for those people. I don't, you might not like the presentation, but how can you go wrong when you got people in there praying for the lost, saying, God, save those people. God, bring them back to life spiritually, oh God. How can we go wrong with that kind of message? But I don't like the presentation. There's lots, of, there's lots of packages I don't like. I don't particularly like the new Coke cans, but I drink it. I don't really care for a Kellogg's box, but everybody needs a little Frosted Flakes every now and then, right? 
See, we got to remember what's on the inside. What's the fruit of the tree? And the same people that will gripe and complain won't lift their finger to reach anybody. And this is what it says. It says, he got angry, angry, and would not go in, therefore. He was mad. He was filled with pride and said, I'll not go in. I'll not be a part of this. Be a part of what? People getting saved. Leading people to the cross. How is that wrong? Oh, that, that just burdens my heart. For religion and tradition that says if you don't do it my way, we're not doing it. Isn't it amazing how in Jesus' day, the blind could see Jesus, but the religious folk could not. And I propose to you that God's about to show up in, in such a way in the church that if we're not careful, we're not going to recognize Him. Just as the disciples, the people that were closest to Jesus were in a boat. And Jesus came out walking on the water and they looked and said, it's a ghost. They did not recognize Him. Unbelievable. So if we're not careful, we won't recognize Him when He shows up. He was angry. And would not go into the party. Verse 29. He answered and said unto his father. Lo, these many years do I serve thee therefore. And have not transgressed I at any time. You liar. He's such a liar. That's what's bad about this whole thing. Is he's a liar. Isn't that something? All these years I've come to church. I've not sinned. You liar. Old religious folk. Because the Bible says all have sinned. And fallen short of his glory. If we could be saved on our own accord, we would not need Jesus to die for us. So he looks at his father, and of all the people he's going to lie to, because you know dad knows him. He knew him when he was 12 years old and rebellious, and he went out and shot a bird with a BB gun, or he went and lied about getting into the cookies, or whatever it was that he did. He knows that he lied. He knows what he did. But I don't really see where the father starts judging him. Dad says, I'm not going to play that game. If you want to be that way, then that's between you and God. But this is what he says. He says, he says, I am, and at no time, have I, I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Verse 30. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with har harlots, and thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Once again, him, 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 him. This is what you did. This is what you did. I have learned, first of all, people always accuse others of what they are guilty of themselves. I've also, I've also discovered that when people are in sin, first thing they start doing is accusing you. I've had to confront people in our church at times about sin, sin lifestyles. You know what they always do? They always say, well, what about you? What about your sin? Who are you? Nobody's judging you. We're leading you. We're shepherding. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The, the rod, they use to break the legs. The staff, they use to pull them into order. Well, that's another message for another day. It says, but... Verse 31, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad... For thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. He said, even though this offends you, you should rejoice in the fact, whatever the process that we did to win this one for the Lord, 
know the process is way better than leaving them in their present condition. Religion will leave you right where you are, but Jesus will call you up to another place and challenge you to be better. So if we just for a moment just bow our heads and let's just pray for a minute. Let's just ask God's blessing to be up on this word and all that's here tonight. And if we have some music that we could play, that'd just be great. What, Pastor Scott, whatever you're playing before service, man, that was just great. That's a CD. I'd like to like to know what CD that is. That's just fantastic. If you just for a moment just slip up your hands and, and just ask the Lord to minister to us right where we are. So Lord Jesus, just right now, God, we ask your blessing be upon this word. I ask that it go deep into our hearts. Lord, right now, we thank you for what you have done. God, we thank you for what you're about to do. Lord, we just release healing, guidance, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We just release it. Thank you. Just pray in the Holy Ghost for a minute. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Lord, whatever it is you want to do tonight, we're just open vessels. mercy and right now I declare it done right now in Jesus name 
God, I call in those prodigals right now in Jesus' name. God, I speak to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and I declare it to release that harvest. And God, I just thank you for it. I give you the glory, and I give you the praise in Jesus' name. Lord, I just love you. Just pray for a moment. Spend a few minutes in the presence of the Lord. Lord, I just love you, Jesus. Lord, I just love you, Jesus. I just love you, Lord. Lord, I just love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. forward with a fresh praise and a fresh worship that's going to change the people around you in a fresh passion. Lord, right now, God, I just release that anointing right now in Jesus' name. Lord, and I even see where rebellion has risen up against you and tried to fight you and tried to keep you from the things of God. And I declare unto you that that thing is going to die even right now. And Lord, I just release that fire. I feel such a witness of the Holy Ghost. Lord, right now, I thank you for it, and I give you glory, and I give you praise. In Jesus' name, there's even healing going on in your female organs. There's a touch of heaven going on in your body, even right now. Know that there's a peace going to come to you, and there's not going to be any more fear. And Lord, I just release that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, just let it be. Just let it be. I'll just pray in, pray in the Holy Ghost for a minute. Lord, I just thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus, I just praise you, Lord. I glorify you, God. I praise you. Can I pray for you? Would that be okay? Have you ever had anybody pray for you like this before? Yeah? Come here. Have you been saved very long? There is a lot that has brought you to this place. There's a lot of heartache that's brought you to this place. There has been a raised hand against you in your life. You know what it is to be hurt physically, mentally, or spiritually. There's healing that's going to come to you. There's forgiveness that's going to flood you. You've already operated and been flowing in forgiveness. But there's a release that's getting ready to come. And there has been some division where the enemy has come and divided you. And God's getting ready to come in. He's putting some people back together. 
there's some people that have had to exit your life for God to get you to a place where he can really use you, do some things in you and through you. But God's working on them also. And I don't tell this very often, but even right now, God's moving behind the scenes and doing some things you don't see or you don't understand. And knowing not many days, you're going to see the change that you've been praying for and you've been believing for. There's healing going on in your body even right now. God's doing a touch in your blood. Jesus, Lord, right now, I just release that healing. Right now, I release that touch of God. There is an unclean spirit that has attached itself to this generation. There's an unclean spirit that's come in and has tried to attach itself to you. It's tried to attach itself to you. That's the spirit that comes in and it causes this generation to cut and to hurt themselves. And God is binding and rebuking that spirit from you even right now. And I take authority right now over the plans of the enemy. I declare deliverance. And I see where the enemy has already let go of you. But he's tried to come in from time to time. And he's tried to re-grab. And you have seasons where you are drawn back to that old life. But God is pulling you so far out of that and so far removed from it. That you're going to know his peace and mercy and joy like never before. Holy Spirit, right now, I just release that anointing. Satan, I bind your hold that you would have on this life. You unclean spirit, I bind you right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just right now release your glory. In your precious name, I pray. Darling, would you come help me? Would you just come here for just a minute? I'm going to have you put your, in just a moment, not yet, I'm going to have you put your hand right here. And when, when you do, the power of God's going to hit our sister here. Jesus. Lord, I just praise you, God. I just magnify you. Lord, I just release that anointing right now. Now, Satan, I just bind you. And I declare freedom over this life. Freedom mentally, freedom spiritually, and physically right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You ready? Go ahead. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I just love you, Lord. I just love you, Lord Jesus. I praise you, God. Just magnify you, Lord. Just glorify you, Jesus. Jesus. This right here. Come here first. And I don't I don't see these things like this very often, but as you was praying, I seen a devourer that had come into your life and had devoured, was devouring. I see it in the in the, in the, 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 the had the look of a bird, a black bird that was coming in and, and taking away, taking little pieces away. The Bible says that when the thief is caught, he's got to return sevenfold. There's a thief that has been caught in your life. And when you have known a season of famine, you're getting ready to experience a season of restoration. Let me have your hand for just a second. What's your name? There was a lady I was just with in, in Waldron, Arkansas. I, I, I just feel like this is a glory spot. I just feel like a, the glory just falls just right here. I was with it in Waldron, Arkansas. And she came up, and I'd never seen this lady before. And I told her, I said, I see God just backing up a dump truck full of blessings to me. Dump truck. And I, she just, of course, she just lost it. It was lost in the Holy Ghost. And I can't hardly talk right now. 
feel the glory. The next night she came in and she testified and she said, Preacher, you didn't you don't know me, but I own a dump truck business. And she didn't tell me anything else. She just said, I own a dump truck business. And at our prophetic conference, we had a young man from the area that came in and preached. And she, she brought him with a testimony and an offering. She brought a thousand dollar seed and said, Preacher, said, when you ministered that to me, I was fifty-five thousand dollars in debt and our business was going under. She said, just a couple of weeks ago, God fulfilled that word in my life and said, somebody walked in and wrote us a check for $55,000. And then another person came in and bought us a new dump truck for another $25,000. And restoration began. God is bringing restoration to you. There's restoration coming to you. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just release that word right now. Let it be sealed. Come help me again. Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I just praise you, God. Now, Lord, right now, I bind every interference right now. And I release the move of the Spirit, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. God, I declare we be open receptacles for the things of God. And right now, I bind the enemy, root, shoot, and fruit. And God, I release restoration right now in Jesus' name. Go ahead, darling. Just put your hand right there. Jesus. Fire of God. Lord, just let your fire fall. Lord, I just love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you, Jesus. I praise you, God. Just love on him for a moment. Just intercede. Just pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. Come here. Let me pray for you. How are you tonight? What's your name? Okay. Jesus, there's been many times in your life, even in, even in recent seasons, where you've very much felt overlooked. Because there are people in your life sometimes that you feel like they outshine you. And I want you to know that you have gifts, talents, and abilities that God are going to use, going to use in a great way. And though there are times that you feel those gifts are suppressed, though there are times when you feel like you don't get to get to show off those gifts as much as you like, God's opening doors around you, even right now. God's opening up opportunities for you to share those gifts and those abilities. And even the, what you don't see, God is moving behind the scenes even right now. And where you have been willing to be subtle and operate in the back, God's bringing you to the forefront. And God's going to use you in a very frontal position. And the Lord is going to come in and begin to bring restoration to your mind, restoration to your life. And I want you to know you, you're not second fiddle to anybody. You're, you're his precious gift. And He there's nobody that he's loving any more than you. And he set somebody aside for you. There is somebody very special that God has waited in the wings. And I don't know how far down the road, but down the road for you that, that's going to come into your life and bring much blessing and bring much hope and bring much healing and bring much restoration. And even from the hurts of your past, that's going to bring healing. Jesus, Lord, I just release that anointing even right now. And though weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. And your, and your morning is breaking in joy. In fact, God's putting a garment of joy on you. Lord, I thank you. And the gift of praise that inside of you is going to begin to come forth. 
with new power and new authority and new grace. Be careful who you let into your life because the enemy would love to destroy what God's doing. But know God is moving on your behalf. Jesus. Jesus. Just love on him for a moment. Just tell him how much you, how much you love him. Is there anybody in pain right now? Anybody in pain in their body right now?
Lord God, right now, I stir up those gifts, God. I stir up that calling, Lord. Right now, Jesus, in faith, is arising in you even right now. It's going to be a time where you're going to need faith, where the gift of faith is going to rise. We're each given the same measure. Rise up inside of you, and you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is moving on your behalf. Because, and you'll go back, you'll revert to this word that's that said, "I knew I'd have to believe for this." God's just doing it. Lord, I release that fire. I release that anointing. Just love on Him for a minute. Just tell Him how much you love. with it. 